One of my best friends growing up was this guy named Greg Ryan. And um, Greg and I were, were, were those friends. And maybe you had a friend like this that you just did everything together. Um, you know, we, we became friends in fourth grade and we just realized, man, we just, we love being together. And so we, we'd go on vacation together and, and we'd come to Nashville to watch hockey games together. And we would, we, we would, we mowed yards together and we played sports together. And it's like any free time we had, we were together. And, 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 and I was thinking about my friendship with Greg and there's so many things that I loved about him. Um, but, but as I was thinking about our friendship, this, this one kind of characteristic rose to, to the top as I was thinking about our friendship, that Greg had this way of challenging me, that he had this way of, of calling out the, the best in me, that, that, that he had this way of, of calling me to be the absolute best that I could be. And here's the crazy thing. So often he did it and he never even used words. It was his life that did that. See, Greg, if, if you could peel back the, the curtain of his heart, what was the, the desire of his heart was, was wanting to play college football. And so Greg came from this like pedigree of, of, of athletes. You know, his granddad played college baseball, this amazing baseball player. His, his dad and his uncle played college football. His older brothers played football. And there was just this desire in his heart to, to get a scholarship and to play on that level. And what I loved about Greg is that his desire created this incredible drive inside of him. That in season and out, that, that that desire, it wasn't just something that he was gonna think about. It was a thing that he was gonna give his life to, devoting himself to making that desire a reality. And so the way that this would play out is, you know, in order to play football, you had to be strong, you gotta be fast. It, it's not just about knowing the X's and O's, that there's so much a, a, about the physicality of it. And so Greg, in season and out, man, he would be in the weight room. So in baseball season, which was in the spring, you know, we'd have uh, school all day and then we'd have practice in the afternoon. And then at night, you know, it's like you're, you're done, you're tired. You want to go home, do your homework, go to bed. And so Greg would, would call me in the morning. Hey, let's go work out. I'm like, dude, I don't want to work out. It's 530 in the morning. Like that's, that's not what people at our school do. Like some of your schools, you had excellent athletes. No one at our school did that. Like we're trying to set the bar low here. And, and he's like, no, we, we can't just give up all the things that we've gained like in this, this season. And so he dragged me out of bed and we'd get up there and we'd, we'd work out in the mornings. And, and, and what I loved about Greg is that his desire, it called me higher. That, that his, his desire to achieve this, it, it, it had this effect on me, that it actually called me into a better way of living. You know, this, this season, this past summer at the cannery, you guys have been talking about what it looks like to be a, a disciple, a devoted follower of Jesus in the culture that we're living in. And today, what I wanna talk about is, is what it looks like for us to be God's people that, that call the world around us into higher places of living. That, that call the culture around us into the, the fullness of the life that God created for us to live. And, 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 and I believe so much about the, the call on a Christian's life is not just to, to inspire and to call other Christians around you. I do think that's, that's part of it. But part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus is that the culture around us actually raises because we're in it. I love that that today we're gonna to be talking kind of about a, a challenging topic. We're gonna to be talking about what it looks like to engage with culture. And I don't know how many of you this, this past year, if, 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 if you looked back on just the, the brokenness and the confusion and the pain and the sin that is in our culture, that's in our world, that's in our 
political system, that's in our politicians, but not just our political system, but that's in our, our, our religious systems, in followers of Jesus, in churches, in leaders. That, that I don't know if, if you're like me, but this year you saw just the, the fullness of division and pain and brokenness. And, and, and if you were like me, you're going, man, I desire to, to not just let that rot, to not just let it go its own way. I want to be a part of, of reconciling and helping. But if you're anything like me, you're going, I don't even know what to do. Today, I've got good news though, because I got it all figured out and we're gonna figure it all out today and it's gonna be awesome. And so if you chose to come here this morning, good for you. Like we're gonna leave here having a, a full understanding of how we engage in culture. And you know, you know I, I'm kind of saying that tongue in cheek because what I want us to understand is that the, the scriptures actually really do, they, they speak to us on what it looks like to engage the culture around us. And our brother Peter, man, he just writes it so simply. We'll make it so complicated, but I love, we're gonna look at a couple passages of scripture that just invite us how our desire calls the culture around us higher. And so starting in, in, in 1 Peter chapter two, we're gonna have three movements. I didn't have time to put together slides. I was coming in hot this morning, sorry about that. The first point is that we are sojourners. You're like, bro, why are you using a weird word? Like, just pick a normal word. Sojourners is what we're using this morning. We are, are sojourners. First Peter 2, verse 11, it says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners. Some of your translations say sojourners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Peter is, is writing this letter quite literally to a group of people that had been scattered. They are physically sojourners and exiles that they are not living in the homeland that, that they want and were born and that they desire to be living to. And, and although that, that we could camp all day there on the physical nature of what Peter's writing, I believe that he's speaking to a, a, a deeper longing in, in the hearts, a deeper desire in, in the hearts of God's people that, that he's helping them understand that, that we are sojourners that we are only in this, this place for a, a set amount of time, for a limited amount of time, that he's wanting us to understand that this world in its current state and condition is not home. It is not the way that God designed it. It's not what he intended for us. I love that he uses the word sojourners because it depicts this idea that, that it helps us understand we're only here for a limited time. And it's not just about sojourners. He, he uses this word exile, and I love that because an exile is someone who's been driven out. That they're not where they want to be. Peter's wanting us to understand, this is who we are. I've got some friends in this city. They run a coffee shop called The Horn. Have you guys been to The Horn on Murfreesboro Road, a few of you? You should go there this week or next week. And it's a great coffee shop. It's owned by this family from Somalia. They are Muslim. I love going there. It's my deepest desire that they come to know Jesus. But I go there because I, I, I enjoy being around them. And so the oldest brother who owns a coffee shop, his name's Ahmed. And when you talk to Ahmed and you talk to his family, what you discover is that, man, they were, they were born in Somalia. He was there till he was age five. And then he, he got driven out. And you talk to him and what you see in him is that there's this longing in his heart to be back home. 
to be among his people, people who, who, who speak the same language and have the same culture, who eat the same food, who, who understand the same things. And, 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 and he has this longing in his heart to be home that will not be satisfied until he's back there. And I go, man, could that be said about us? Man, that, that, that we're going to unpack this this morning. I want us to think about this, this idea that do we understand that we are sojourners? Colossians chapter 3. Flip over there with me real fast. If you're using our Bible, it's on page 806. Colossians 3. I want to look at this real quick. Colossians 3, Paul says this. Since then, you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, listen to this verse four, when Christ who is your life, when he appears, you also will appear with him in glory. Have you ever been around someone and, and have you ever heard them say something like this? Like, man, my, my family is everything to me. Or, or you go, man, my, my spouse or my kids or my career or my college degree or whatever it is. You're like, man, it is my everything. And I love what, what, what Peter is, and, and Paul are, are getting at here because what they're wanting us to understand is that, that that desire to put on something, our everything, the fullness of our love, the fullness of our affection, the fullness of our worship, the fullness of our, our worth and our meaning, we are to put that on something. But if it is on anything other than Christ, we're missing it. Paul says this in Colossians 3 verse 1, Christ our everything, Christ who is our life. Our greatest desire, our greatest longing, our hearts, do you understand, will not be satisfied until we are standing face to face in the presence of Jesus, the one who died for you. Man, the, the one who set aside his place of worship and glory, and for 33 years he left heaven. In his 33 years of life, man, he, he could have come and lived however he wanted. Think about the way that you're living your life, what you're building, what you give your time and your money and your energy to. Jesus could have come and done anything, and he came in this life, and for 33 years, he denied himself, and he gave of himself, and he ultimately gave himself for you and for me. My fear is that for many Christians, we start out and we are so zealous for God. God touches our life. We come to understand that he is real and that he is good. And so many of us, we start out and the flame for God is huge. And by the end of our lives, that flame is barely a flicker. How many of you, man, you, you look back and you go, man, my greatest spiritual days with God are the, day, with, with God are, are the days that are behind me. But that's not the way that it's supposed to be for followers of Jesus. My fear is that, is that this world, it has so gotten into our head, it has distracted us. Man, that, that we have forgotten that we are sojourners, that we're exiles. My fear is that we have settled for something less than what God desires for us. We've gotten comfortable with the, the pleasures of this world. 
We've traded God's desire for our life, for our own desire in the American dream. Food and clothes and cars and travel and comfort. Paul writes in Romans 12, do not conform to the pattern of this world. And I go, man, have we conformed to the pattern of this world? Are we chasing the same things? Do we look just like the world? I go, have we forgotten? I love that, that Paul says this. He says, Colossians 3, set your heart and set your mind. And he uses two different words there. For set your heart, it's the word zeteo, and it means to, to seek, to desire, to long for. And I go, man, think about this. From the, the core of your heart, do you actually long for Jesus more than anything else? Or has something else come in? Like when you go, my, my life, when it's over, I hope that this is what I've accomplished, is the greatest desire of your heart to know Christ, to walk with Christ, to be obedient to Christ, to, to have intimacy with Christ, to please Christ, to lift up Christ, to draw others to Christ, is the heart of your life Christ. He says, set your heart on things above. Not just your heart, he says, set your mind on things above. And he uses a different word there. It's not the word zeteo, it's the word fronete, and it's the word to think about, to set your mind on. Earlier this week, the, the Holy Spirit was, was helping me take inventory of some of my thoughts. I was going on a run, and the Spirit was just, just prompting me, hey, how often do you think about what life will be like when you stand in front of, what life is gonna be like in eternity with Christ? Like how often, Brandon, do you think about standing in front of the one who actually died for you? Like who gave up everything for you? How much do you think about how incredible it's gonna be to be in the presence of that kind of love? Man, to feel his hands that have the scars, to, to see the love, to see the fierceness of, of his love for you in his eyes, to feel the embrace of his hug. I mean, this is how you and I will embrace an encounter. It's not gonna be this metaphysical weird. You will feel him like you're feeling, like you'll touch his skin, you'll see his face, you'll see into his eyes. How often do you think about how amazing it's gonna be to be in the presence of that kind of love? I don't think about it very often. And the Holy Spirit was going, now think about how much time, Brandon, you think about your next vacation or what your, how much money you have in your bank account or um, what clothes you want to buy or what thing you want to build next. Think about how much time you give to thinking about other things. It's not that those things are bad things, okay? But I go, of course, if my mind is like 97% thinking about things of the world, where's my heart going to be? On things of this world. He says, set your heart, set your mind. Guys, when we understand that we are sojourners, that we are exiles of this world and its condition is not as it should be, we will be truly sojourners. That Christ will be the desire of our lives. So the, the first idea, we are sojourners. Second idea, let's flip back to 1 Peter 2. The second idea that I want us to think about this morning is that, that we live good lives. We are sojourners what does it look like to engage in culture, to be followers of Jesus? We're sojourners. We live good lives. Verse 12, 1 Peter 2. <laughs> you guys good? I need a drink. You need a drink? Take a drink. <laughs> Verse 12. Live such good lives 
among the pagans, or your translation might say among the Gentiles, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. I love this. this we're going to walk through this verse. We'll spend the rest of our time here this morning. Live such good lives. That word good in the Greek, it's the word kalos. It means desirable. It means beautiful. It means honorable. Peter says, live such a good life. And in, in, in the culture that we live in, man, we define so everything, right? Like we try to define truth. We define things how we want them to be. And so we could read this and go, okay, I'll live a good life. I'll live a, a kind life and a nice life. And I'm gonna be passive and I'm gonna do whatever else the world says. And no, the, 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 the definition of good is set. We don't get to set it ourselves. But, but where, do you, where, where is it set? Who defines what is a callous life? What is a good life? How do we know what it is that he's talking about here? I love the story that we're documented, that documented, that we're told about that happens in Luke 18. Luke 18, this really wealthy man comes to Jesus and he says, good teacher. And Jesus stops and says, whoa, whoa, why do you call me good? No one's good except God alone. It's that same word, callous. And I think that's what Peter's getting at here. He's saying, live such a Jesus-like life. Not just a nice life and a friendly life and a, a happy life. Live such a life like Jesus. You know, there was something about Jesus' life that was so attractive. People left jobs, they left careers, they left families, and it's still happening today to follow this Jesus? That there's something about his life that is so desirable, so honorable, so beautiful that, that people go, it's worth everything. This week, as I was really processing this and praying into it, there are so many aspects about the Jesus life that we could talk about, but the thing that was surfacing the top for me was the thing about Jesus and maybe it's just for me this morning, but maybe it'll bless you as well, that, that stood out about the goodness of his life was the consistency of his character. And that, that Jesus was not one person at home and another person in public. That Jesus was not one person on Friday night with his bros and then another person on Sunday morning with his house church. He was, not one he was not one person with his parents and another with his friends. No, that there was a consistency in the character of Jesus. He stood out. People were drawn to him. If there was ever a time where God's people need to reflect Jesus in this way, it is now. If there was ever a time where the culture needed to see a group of true Christ followers that didn't just speak it with their lives or speak it with their mouths, but spoke it with their lives. The time is now. <clears throat> are people drawn to us? Man, are our, our, our spouses, are they confused about our lives? Because we live one way at home and another way in public. Are our friends confused? Because they see us living one way on Friday night, another way. There was this something about the solidarity in Jesus' life through and through. <clears throat> The good life. That life stands out. That life makes a difference. This 
past week I was talking to my friend Corey. Corey works as a server at a restaurant here in Nashville. He just graduated from college back in May. And he said, before I get into my career job, I want to serve in the hospitality industry. I want to just do something with my hands for a while. And so he got this job and, and he told me, but before I got into this job, there are a couple of things that, that I wanted to do. I'm not just going into it to buy time till I get into my career job. He said, and he didn't say this exact word, but he said, I'm going into it as a missionary. <clears throat> and, he, and, and he carried in, he said, there's some things that, that I'm going to do. He said, I'm, I'm, I, I'm not going to complain. He just made the, the, the decision that, at, that he wasn't going to complain. He wasn't going to complain about uh, customers. He wasn't going to complain about um, the hours that he was given. He wasn't going to complain when people were meeting. He was not going to complain. The second thing that he said he was going to do is that he, he wasn't going to talk bad about his, his managers. <clears throat> that no matter how they treated him or what the other coworkers were talking about behind his back, that, that he was going to honor them. And the third thing that he said he was going to do is that he was going to watch out for his coworkers. That he was going to help them if they, were, if they needed it. If there was a, a table that needed to be bust and, and that he was going to bust their table. If there was food that needed to be taken to a table, he was going to take their food. That he was going to look for any and every opportunity to live the good life. He hadn't even been working there a month. The CEO of the hospitality aspect of the company was eating at his restaurant. Didn't even know that it was him. He calls him over. Corey, come here. He said, I want you to know that you have been a light in this place. And I hope that, that whatever it is that you have, that it, that it permeates everyone else in this restaurant. And it's, I don't know how long we're going to have you, but you need to know that, that there is something different and distinct about your life. And I go, guys, this is just what happens when when we set out to live the Jesus life, when it's not just something we talk about on Sundays, but we set our hearts on it. But let's talk about this. We all have these moments of inconsistency in our character, right? Do any of you not? Any of you flawless in that regard? Come in this morning, perfect character. Okay, that should make us feel good. What do we do with our inconsistencies? You know, this is what, this is what happens in, in the political world, even in the religious world. Man, because we all, we all sin. We all have these, these, these things that we stumble into. And, and the difference in politicians or in religious leaders that are, are not following the Holy Spirit is, is politicians sweeping under the rug. They pay money to keep people quiet. These are power to, to keep people quiet. You know, same thing in, the, in the, the spiritual world with leaders who are not walking towards with the Holy Spirit. But what about people who are genuinely trying to follow Jesus? What do we do with our inconsistencies? You know what we do with them? We don't pretend like we don't have them. And we don't sweep them under the rug. We keep them in the light. And that doesn't mean that, you know, you get on Instagram and you tell everyone all of your sin. That's not appropriate. Like, we don't need to hear that. But what it does mean is that you, you keep your life open to other brothers and sisters. You have a brother or sister that is trusted that, that you regularly confess into. You know what happens when, when you regularly just have someone that you go to and you go, you know what, I miss it here? It keeps you humble. It, 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 it reminds you that you need God. 
And God knows this. The enemy keeps us in the dark, so scared to confess, so scared to bring things in the light because he knows in the light we live, we come alive. And so what we do with our inconsistencies, we confess them. We're soft towards God and we're soft. You know, I love the scriptures. And Paul writes, hey, use the scripture, correct, encourage, rebuke. He says this to Timothy. He said, there's gonna be times in your ministry where you need to rebuke somebody. Now hear me out. Don't go around rebuking everyone. You won't have any friends and no one will listen to you. You gotta mix it in with encouragement and love and all these other things, but there are gonna be times where you need to look your brother and sister in the eye and you need to say some hard words. Hey, you're far from the path right now, come back. And there are gonna be times where someone says that to you and my encouragement is to receive those words with a soft heart. Don't be deflective, don't be defensive. Several years ago, man, I started to realize that I had an issue with anger. And I remember the, the specific moment we were sitting in the car, my kids were really little. My oldest was like probably two, my youngest was like really young, not even a year old. And we were sitting in the car and the kids were just, yelling in the back and making noise. And I just raised my voice. And everything in the car got quiet. And I'm like, I like that. <laughs> like, I like that I could raise my voice. And, you know, I tried talking to them and they wouldn't listen. And, and I raised my voice and everything got quiet. And, and so what started happening is that, that I started to just do this, just raising my voice. In the house, kids do something they didn't like, and I'd raise my voice, or I, I would, I would, and, and I realized, man, that there was something that was like this anger that was just coming out of me. The Holy Spirit was just showing me this. One morning, I was getting ready to teach over at Marathon. I was walking around, doing a little prayer walk around the building before, and I walked out in the, um, the gravel parking lot, and there was this railroad nail. If you ever seen a, a nail that holds a railroad tied down? I was just sitting in the, um, the parking lot. I went and saw him. Like, oh, that's cool. And, you know, picked it up, threw it in my car. And if that's stealing, you can come rebuke me and I'll make it right. But, but it was sitting in the parking lot. I just thought, man, that, that's cool. I can use that someday. And so uh, this railroad, uh, this nail is sitting in my car. That night, come to prayer gathering. We were praying up in one. My friend Stoney, he and I are praying together. And he's just kind of asking me, hey, what's going on in your life? And I'm like, man, I... I'm, on, I'm just kind of struggling with anger right now. He's like, oh yeah, tell me about that. And I'm just like, you know, I just told him what I just told you guys. And he's like, let's pray about that. I'm like, okay. So we start praying and, and Stoney just, you know, asks God, is there anything that you want Brandon to, to hear or to see right now? After a few seconds, he said, hey, I, I think God's given me a picture for you and I hold it open, but I want you to, I want to just kind of share it with you. And he said, okay. He said, in the, the as I was praying, he said, what I saw, he's like, I saw you on one side of this bridge. And he said, and I saw the you that you want to be on the other side of the bridge. Like, you know, not quick tempered and um, with, with a patient temperament and, you know, not raising your voice. He's like, I, I see, I see two different, two different people. Like you're on the bridge and you're angry. And on the other side of the bridge, is the man that you want to be. And he said, and I see on this, this bridge, it has all these wooden boards. And he said, every time you get angry. He's like, I know that you want to be this man, that you want to be this godly dad, this godly husband. He said, every time you get angry, nails are coming up out of that board. 
And he's like, it's actually working against you. And I'm like, Sony, this is crazy. You have no idea. I was like, there's a, a railroad nail, not even just a little nail, you know, not like a nail you get in your tire, like a, a, a nail, a big nail that's sitting in the floorboard of my car. And he said, bro, pay attention to that. Like the Lord is wanting to speak into you, like, and, and for you to hear those words, like, I didn't know that thing about the nail. And, 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 and he's just sharing this with me. And I'm just going, oh, God, I'm sorry. And it's not that God just wants me to be sorry. God wants to help me because he knows he's not the man that I want to be. And so God uses this moment, this moment of inconsistency in my character to correct me. And how did it come? Through openness through praying with another brother and sister, through letting them speak into my life. And I'm not perfect in this regard. Man, but if we want to, to call culture around us higher, we gotta understand that we're sojourners, we gotta live good lives. And then finally, the third thing is we have to live among. Verse 12, 1 Peter 2, live such good lives, listen to this, among the Gentiles. not away from, and not just like. This is what Dave talked about last week with, with salt and light. That so often our tendency as followers of Jesus is, is that we, as we see culture, we see the, the rebellion against God, and we'll do one of two things. One of the things that we do is, is we completely distance ourselves. We move away from, from anyone who will pull us down, anyone who can separate us, anyone who, who has bad theology, or, and, and, and we just kind of live in this isolated bubble. And you know what happens like, when we do that? And, and so let me speak in this real quick. Some of you, you need to do that because you have terrible friends. And I say that, I don't know you generally, but I'm just going that, that there are some of you and, and the greatest influence in your life are your friends and your friends just keep pulling you down. You need to get new friends. Some of you, 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 you are living a, a, among, you, you, you're not living among, you're living away from culture, people. And you, and you did this because, man, maybe at an early age, you just realized, I got to distance myself from, from friends and from people who are, who are bringing me down. And so what you did is you moved away. And what's happened is that you're living in this isolated bubble and you no longer have influence on anyone's life. Some of you have moved away from culture. Some of you have assimilated into culture. Some of you, man, in your attempt to be relevant and attempt to be cool and attempt to, to you know, help people come to know Christ, you look just like the world. And he started out with the best of intentions, but the reality is that you are no different. And Peter says, don't live just like the world and don't live away from the world, live among the world. Think about this. How many people in your life do you spend time with that, that don't think like you? That don't believe the same things that you believe? That don't have the same value system that you have? That don't have the same morals? Are you living among the world? Are you living kind of this separate life? Or are you living just like this culture? What I love about Jesus is that Jesus lived among, man, he often ate with sinners and tax collectors. They were the most despised people of the day. Think about who are the most despised people, don't say anyone's name, in our culture. And I guarantee you, Jesus would be eating with them. People that, that everyone else has written off, man, they're too far gone. No one wants, and this is who Jesus hung out with. 
And it wasn't just those people, it was the Pharisees. You know what? We read about the Pharisees and none of us like the Pharisees. None of us like the hypocrisy, the way that they live their lives. Jesus ate with Pharisees. You see, Jesus could, could live among and he could still be distinct. Think about us. And think about this past year, the, the things that, that were before us. Racial injustice. Everyone's opinion about how to handle COVID. Everyone's got opinion. Everyone thinks their opinion's right. Everyone thinks your opinion's stupid, right? Like, think about the election. Think about these big things that, that come with all kinds of emotion and all kinds of feelings. And, 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 and think about the way that you processed it this year. Man, when someone said something, maybe it was one of your friends on Instagram, they post something on a story, when they, when they shared something that you didn't like or something you didn't agree with, was it your tendency to like unfollow them? cancel them, to cut them out of your life. And I'm going, man, so often when someone comes into our life, when someone says something or does something that we don't like, we are just like the world. You know what Jesus did? He got closer. Man, when, when things were tense, The cultural climate was hard. Jesus got close. Man, for, for some of you, maybe you did this this year. That there was someone who, who didn't, who you disagree with, the way that they're handling political issues, racial tension, COVID, whatever it is. And what this looks like man, instead of writing people off, get closer. Man, what happens when, when you sit down with somebody who, who doesn't think like you, who doesn't believe like you, who doesn't see the world, who doesn't have the same experiences? When you sit down and you open your heart and your calendar and your time to listen to someone, you might not leave agreeing on every single thing, but this thing happens, and I guarantee you that you will make an impression on their life. Should you choose to engage, to create a space for conversation, a place for respect, a place for you to listen and to share. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, and the, the Greek, the actual wording there is, is that when they accuse you of doing wrong, and what Peter is getting at is, should you and I choose to actually live like Jesus? There will be moments when people look at us and go, you are wrong. They accuse you of doing wrong. Literally, it means that, that they will accuse you of having ill will. That you and I do this thing right. We live like Jesus in the right way. And people will look at us and go, you're hateful. Look at the way they treated Jesus.
when they accuse you of doing wrong. You know, we live like in our culture, in our country, there's, we, we've been in a, a long season where Christians kind of were the majority, where, where, where the, the, Christian, the Christian morality, the Christian value system was, was upheld, was patted on the back, that, that for a long time it was acceptable, it was almost, it was normal to be a Christian. And things are changing in our culture. Where, where things are, are shifting, what, was, what were once things that were in line with God's, they're shifting and I tell you this because I want you to understand that things are going to get harder for us as Christians. This is what Jesus says. And if we are not ready for that, if we just think, oh man, life's going to get easier for us as a Christian, that, that everyone's just going to accept us and love us, you are in for a wild and deceptive ride. And it might not get harder for us like the next two months or next year, but I'm telling you that, that a closer we get, the Christ returning, the harder things are gonna become. We gotta be ready for that. So what this means is that for us to expect that when we live like Jesus, not to be patted on the back, way to go. When we live like Jesus, hey, that's offensive. You're a bigot. You got hate in your heart. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong. I'll get one example of this. Some friends in my life, dear friends, they have someone in their life that is in a same-sex relationship. They are engaged to be married. And my friends, man, they, they love this person. And they really wrestle, man. They, they went to the scripture and they go, man, God, what is... What is it you say? I mean, I know what, what culture says. I know that, that it's just, you know, what, what, what the things that I'm hearing. Like, what, what do you say, though? What's your consistent sexual ethic in the Old Testament and new? And does it shift? And is there a trajectory? And, and, and what they realize is that the consistent teaching in Scripture is that God doesn't bless that. And you might not agree with that, and we can have a conversation. I would love to just kind of walk you through that. But, but my friends, man, they, 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 were, they, they were wrestling with God. What is it that is your heart? And they didn't just take it to Scripture. Man, they took it to prayer. God, we, we, we love this person. And they didn't just take it to prayer. They, they took it to their community and said, hey, will you, will you help us? We, we want to walk through this situation. We know that it's delicate. We want to walk through it in a way that honors Jesus and honors this person. And this is, is, this is what we think that we need to do, that, that we're going to love this person. And we're going to welcome them into our family, into our life. We're going to invite them to live, in, with, with, uh, like, to live a good life. We want them to, to see our good life. So we're inviting them in to, to eat with our family and to be a part of this. But, but we, we can't celebrate. We can't go to their wedding. We can't, we can't rejoice in what they're doing. Because God doesn't bless that. And so we're not going to celebrate. We're not going to bless things that God's not blessing. And their friend, my friends were telling me about just the way that their friend responded. And man, they've been publicly yelled at. They've been called 
judgmental. You're, you're a bigot. You think you're better. You think you're more holy than us. Um, you are hate-filled. You, you just want them to be lonely and unhappy. You want them to have, you, you're depriving them of the things that you have. Said to my friend, if I see you and I don't want to see you, I will not be nice to you. And my friends have just received these words. This past week, my friends are at the store and they see something that reminds them of their friend and they, and they buy it for them. They send it to them. Hey, I was thinking about you. I miss you. Love you. My friends have honored the boundary. And they're trying to live like Jesus. And they're being accused of, of being ill towards them. Live such good lives. Such a life like Jesus among culture, not like the culture, not away from the culture, among the culture, so that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your good deeds, the consistency of your character and your life and your motives and your heart and your true love for them, and that they may glorify God on the day he visits us. You know, my friends, you know what allows them to endure hard words? to receive ridicule, to be called things, to, to be treated unfairly, to be, to be the recipient of these things. You know, what, you know what, 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 what grounds them? Passages like this, where they are reminded that, that there will be a day that Christ returns. And they understand that, that their job is not just to pat everyone on the back who's, who's taking a path they don't need to be going down, but that their job is to stand with Jesus. You know, Jesus always uses people. And he does things through, through the supernatural, but God chooses to use his people in bold and graceful and truthful ways. God uses his people. And my friends understand that if they will stand with Jesus, if they will live like Jesus, that God will use their life to help open the eyes of people around them. People who once cursed them and hated them and stood against them. People who, who do not believe, who do not follow, who do not submit their lives, that they, that God will use their life to help bring people into the abundant life of Jesus. That people right now, think about one person in your life who doesn't know Jesus. Someone right now who, if, if Christ were to return, is not in a good place with Christ. And Peter says, live such a good life around this person, the Jesus life around this person, that though they, that they, they accuse you of doing wrong, they'll see your good life. And they'll be drawn to Jesus. And so my encouragement this morning is to let that desire to stand before Jesus knowing you stood with him in all integrity. Desire to stand in front of the one who 
gave it all for you. Let that desire give you the courage and the fortitude to call culture around you, to call people around you higher. Here in just a minute, we're gonna take communion. And I love that we do this. We do this every week. We take a piece of bread and we take a drink and we take some juice. And it's this moment where we, where we are meeting with brothers and sisters and we're reminded that Christ's body was broken, his blood was shed for us. And this morning as we take communion, I wanna just give you one question to wrestle with. As, as you're circling up your chairs, as you're, as, you're, as you're talking about this question with the people that you came with, what is the greatest desire in your life right now? And I encourage you to be honest. Man, and if it's not Christ, if it's not his, his, his ways and his heart, then just be honest and, and tell that to the people that you came with. It's not Christ. It's this other thing. It's my career or it's to be married, this thing that I desire more than Christ. And just be honest. And this morning, as we take the bread, as we drink the cup, let's ask God, God, help us. God, help us. Help you to be the greatest desire in our hearts. So I'm gonna pray for us, and then we're gonna take communion. If, if you need prayer, there'll be some men, women that respond, man, we'd love to pray with you. We'd love to help you however we can, but I encourage you, man, don't just, uh, don't just let this moment pass. Take this opportunity to pray with the people around you. If you don't feel comfortable doing that, that's okay. You can do it by yourself, but ask yourself this question. What is the greatest desire? And pray for one another. Let's take the bread and the cup. So let's pray. God, thank you for these men and women and children. God, thank you for what you're doing. I pray, God, that you would draw us closer to you, to your heart. God, I pray that um, anything that was said in this this time that's not from you and not from your heart, that would be forgiven and forgotten. And things that were from you and your heart, God would bear so much fruit. And so Lord, let your, your spirit be on us as we break the bread, drink the cup. Forgive us of our inconsistencies. Call us closer, call us higher. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.